been binge-watched a TV show and got right up to the last episode wondering, how are they going to wrap this up? You ever been there? Because now when you watch a TV show, you typically watch it after it's all been put on a streaming service. So you can actually just watch, you know, episode 1 through 20. And you, you can just watch yourself go down the line as you waste your life on that show. And then, you know, you're right there at the final episode and you're wondering, how's this going to end? Because you know it's the final episode. How are you going to wrap this up? Well, that's kind of how I felt this week. We're at the end of this long sermon series. We have been doing this for 20 weeks. This is the 21st week of this sermon series we've called The First Sermons. We have been looking at the first Christian sermons as they were recorded in the book of Acts. And we've, over those 20 weeks, we've looked at five sermons. So we did a deep dive on all of them. Here it is, just as a review, uh, this is kind of where we've been in the season. Acts 2, 14 through 19, this is Peter at Pentecost. Then we went to Acts 3, and we looked at Peter's sermon at Solomon's Colonnade there in the temple. And then in Acts 10, you saw that transition happening. Peter preached not to the Jews, but for the first time to the Gentiles. It was the first Christian sermon to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And in Acts 13, we pick up with Paul in Poseidon Antioch. Here he's preaching in the synagogue, primarily to Jews, but with a bunch of God-fearing Gentiles in his presence. And then as we wrapped up last week, Acts 17, that was Paul at Athens in front of a thoroughly Gentile audience. And so how do you take all five of those and summarize them in one sermon? How do you do that? I mean, we saw a lot of different things happening. But there's one, there's one, one more thing in the book of Acts that I think is a good summary. It actually is a summary of a message Peter gave. It takes us back to Acts chapter 4. And in Acts chapter 4, Peter is giving a defense uh, in front of the Jewish leaders. And there he brings again the gospel message to those Jewish leaders. And Luke, however, doesn't describe it, doesn't record it as a full sermon. He only gives it a few verses. And I think that's a fitting place for us to end. It's kind of how we're going to wrap up the season with this sermon series. We're going to take a look at that summary of Paul's sermon in Acts chapter 4. And I think there we will see three key elements. It's the three key elements we kept seeing show up over and over and over. And I think when we look at that, when we see that, when we see the finale, we're going to have something we can do this week that has direct application to our everyday lives, particularly if you use YouTube Music, Spotify, or another uh, music service, or maybe you just have the song memorized. I'm not making any sense to you, but to me I am. Let's go. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Here it is. Peter's, uh, Peter's sermon. It's the summary of that sermon recorded by Luke. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
That's it. That's the summary of his sermon. We can be sure he probably said a lot more than that, but here is a summary of what he said. And here is the core, the core message we see in every one of the first sermons. And so here it is. These are the three key elements. Jesus was killed, he was risen, and he alone saves. That's it. Those are, I mean, if you, had to, if you had to summarize, if you had to knit it all together, everything we've done up to this point, and you had to say, what's the core? That's the core. And it's right there in those verses, in this summary of Peter's sermon. He was crucified, he was risen, and there is no other name by which, by which people are to be saved. It is Jesus alone. There it is, those three key elements. I mean, it's a great finale. I mean, it kind of pieces it all together. It's ready-made for the 21st sermon in a long sermon series. Now, we also see these summaries popping up in other places. This is what becomes really important. Because it's not like this is the only summary statement on the gospel. We've got another guy in play here. It's not just Peter, but it's Paul. And I actually want to move to a summary of the gospel. Probably the most famous summary of the gospel ever written, that is, it's recorded in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, and there Peter summarizes his message, this good news he brought to the Corinthians. And what you're going to see is right there in this summary, in this Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, you're going to see those three elements pop up. Here it is. I've put them in red so we can see them clearly. Here it is. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Now, brothers and sisters, now I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. Now, by this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, well, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Now, here what we're going to have in these next several verses is a clear statement that Jesus did come back to life and he appeared to real people who were really living, who could tell you they really saw him. Just to make the point clear, here it is, verse 5 through 8. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. But those some have fallen asleep. And when he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. You see it, they're right there, those key elements of the gospel. So almost, I almost feel bad that this seems so simple. When I came to preparing the finale, I thought, man, it just seems like we've been here before. This is so easy. For example, take a look. Here's the three elements. It's again, Jesus was killed, he was risen, and he alone saves. It just seems so simple. I feel like I just stepped down. We're done. I mean, I've been going over the last several weeks. I guess I owe it to you. Like, that's it. Wrap it up. But there's this one thing in this, this core, these core, three core things that I couldn't get, my, couldn't, get, couldn't get my mind off of. I don't, think, I don't think that first one that he was killed is really anything new. I don't even think it's new for anyone out in the world. I don't think there's a question if Jesus was killed. This isn't really contested. Jesus was killed. Even the, even the most influential atheists in the world, even Bart Ehrman, a very popular religious scholar who teaches over in Chapel Hill, he also acknowledges Jesus was killed. There's really not a question on this. So that in itself is really not the big news. 
So really not, that's not really where I want to sit. We could talk a lot about why he was killed. We've done a lot of that in the last 20 weeks, and we're going to keep doing it. And all of our years together, we're going to keep talking about that one. But that's not the one that really grabbed my attention. And really, the second one is not the thing that grabs my attention, not at least today. You ever heard of the holiday Easter? You've heard of this holiday, right? You ever gone into Walmart and see them selling Easter things? Yes. You ever gone into a card aisle and see Easter cards? Yes. They even say things like, He is risen. You ever seen that? Walmart is promoting Easter. It's not like a secret. No one in our country is wondering, what are we celebrating at Easter? Even if they don't believe, they know Jesus. We say Jesus rose from the grave. That's really not secret. Very public. So, we can say a lot about the resurrection, but that's not really the thing that grabbed my attention as we came to the finale. It's not this piece of Jesus coming back to life. It's not a secret. It's not thing, the thing I think that is maybe the struggle, the thing that would get down on the ground for us. But it's that third thing that really messed with me. You see, it's that one. It's that one where we have all the problems today. And I think for multiple reasons. Go out today and just start telling a few people that you can only be saved by Jesus. You're going to have a problem. You've got a big problem. That's not a popular thing to say. And we don't want people going around saying it. That's the thing that creates so much tension in our world. And I think for a couple reasons. I think for a couple reasons. So if you'll indulge me for the next few minutes, I want to just talk about the two things that I think are underneath, almost the layers, the layers buried under that third one that I think cause all the trouble. It's the thing that grabbed my attention this week, the thing I just couldn't let go of, the thing I want to bring to you. Here's the first thing I think that's problematic about that in our world today. Here's this first thing. I think the fact that when we say Jesus alone saves, I think the thing here is what we're saying is we need to be saved. We need our sins forgiven. That's not very popular today. We don't like the idea of, of, uh, that we need saved. It's a lot more comfortable to go to Barnes & Noble or jump on Amazon and grab the latest self-help book and figure out how to optimize my life so that I can be more effective, successful, or rich. But I'll do all that on my own. I just need a good author, a, a good guru to come alongside me. And I'll pay 15 bucks for the book. And I'll be on my way. Don't tell me I need saved as if something fundamentally is wrong with me. That's not popular. That doesn't get a lot of traction. I think we've got a, a problem in our world acknowledging that we really do have something wrong with us. But when the early Christians started preaching that Jesus alone saves, they were very clear. You need to repent and your sins, your rebellion needs to be forgiven because fundamentally you've got a problem with God, your Creator. You know why your body grows old and falls apart? Because the spirit that gave you life is no longer intimately connected because way back in the beginning there was a rebellion and they were exiled out of the garden. And then something happened to these physical bodies, even at a molecular level, so that we no longer receive. Receive without any any tension, any friction, the Spirit of God to give us life and power and strength so that we could reign with God in the Garden of Eden. That got broken. And now our bodies atrophy. Now you get things like cancer and have heart attacks because literally God's Spirit no longer animates the physical body. Praise God, one day they, it will. That His Spirit will give us new life, will be a new creation, will live forever and ever, but not in these bodies. Because way back when, 
There was a rebellion. And there was a separation. We've got a fundamental problem. It's a rebellion problem. It's on the inside problem. And it's worked its way out into our bodies. There's a fundamental problem. So when the first Christians start preaching that there's salvation, they've got to deal with this sin thing. This fundamental problem. So take a look. Acts chapter 2. Right at the beginning. Like the first sermon. They ask, what do we do with this whole message? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. You do it for the forgiveness of your sins. So that you can be cleansed of all that guilt. Guilt you may not even know you're carrying because you're deceived. We'll clear it. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit, we know later on in some of the letters in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit will be your down payment, guaranteeing that one day you return to the garden. It will be new creation and you will live forever. That's that Holy Spirit piece here. You see, you are now taken from being a rebel to being a friend of God. Forgiveness of sins. It was key. You weren't going to preach the gospel without talking about the fundamental problem. Take a look at uh, Acts 3. Acts 3. Peter says it again in verse 19. Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That says that your sins are a fundamental problem. That's not popular in our world today. We want to, think, we want to come up with all, a lot of other problems. We think the president's the problem. We think this political party's the problem. We think consumerism's the problem. We think Apple's the problem. We think Microsoft's the problem. We think social injustice is the problem. We think all these things are the problem. Now, the problem is here. It's like inside of us. It's rebellion. And so when the first message goes out, the solution is we need to get those sins wiped out. We need them covered. And we need it covered with love so that you can have times of refreshing blow into your life. And then this last one, Acts 13. Now, it's, what, is it, what, what in the world would Paul say to a bunch of Gentiles? Acts 13, verse 39. Everyone who believes is set free from every sin of justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You think you can work your way into salvation? Good luck. Good luck. We have a world that's trying to get there. There is no end to the self-help aisles in a bookstore or self-help videos on YouTube. There is no end to the solutions promoted in our world more now than ever because we, are, we can promote so much more. There's so much more information, but no one has fixed the human problem with information. It comes through a person. And it is a, a solution that gets inside of us. You need to be set free. I need to be set free. Do you see how this is? This could be controversial in our world. In our day, we're pointing fingers at everyone else. The only person I don't see being pointed at is ourselves. My. My. Okay. Here's the second reason I think this is a big problem in our world. The second thing is that forgiveness only comes through Jesus. Even if we acknowledge that we got an inside problem, very few people want to say Jesus is the answer. But when you deal with the gospel, Jesus is going to be your only answer because he's the only human that ever cut a new way to be human. So take a look. Acts chapter 13. I want to go back to Paul. I want you to know, this is what Paul says, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. It's not going to be proclaimed through anyone else. It's not coming through the law of Moses. It's not coming through a new philosophy. It's not coming through a new, a new military power. It's coming through Jesus. You have to get the person. It's not even like 
facts about Jesus. You have to get to know Jesus so something actually changes in your life. It's not just knowing 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's not just knowing he, he died and rose again. It is literally living differently with your real life. It's through Jesus. That's it. It's the only option you got here. And so we can try all these other ways, but it is through Jesus. Now, this is the one. This is the one I really like. Here it is. Acts 3. Here's what Peter says. He said, when God raised up his servant, that's Jesus, he sent him first to bless you, that's the Jews, by turning each of you from your wicked ways. He sent him. He didn't send Muhammad. He didn't send Joseph Smith and the Mormons. He didn't send anyone else. He didn't send a Hindu god. He didn't send an idol of a calf. He didn't send Buddha or any other philosophy teacher. He sent Jesus. Not even Moses could pull this off. Jesus. He sent Jesus. And so if you want your life fixed, you have to come to Jesus. And I imagine many of us carry the story inside of our lives where we try to fix it some other way. Maybe. And the constant struggle is that we try to fix it other ways. We try to feel good other ways. It's going to be with Jesus. That's where, that's where we've got to land the plane. Okay. That's where we want to... That's That right there... That right there is, I think, the sum of what the problem is. Is that, number one, people don't like to think about sin being the real problem in the human heart. The second thing is that we don't want Jesus to be the one that would save us from whatever is wrong inside of us. But when you say He alone saves, you get both of those. You get both of those as a package deal. Okay. So this is the thing that the early Christians are preaching. Now, what, I, what, what I'm trying to do here is try to spark my imagination. Like, what did that sound like? What would it sound like if we, if we imagine the message just from a different angle? All the core pieces there, what would that sound like? Well, you know, one of my favorite people to spark my imagination is what? Dallas Ward. It's a good one. Eugene Peterson is becoming a is coming into they're going to be they're going to oh, this is such a tangent I don't have this anywhere in my manuscript but let me just say this yeah Dallas Willard and C.S. Lewis those are my two guys those are my dead mentors but that's not a trinity so I I have I have found a third I have found a third it is Eugene Peterson there's much to say on this not in a sermon come to our adult Bible class maybe maybe I'll talk about it but. Let me come here. I want to come back to C.S. Lewis. He's the one that sparks my imagination. C.S. Lewis says, says this particular thing. He actually says it in two passages, and what I've done is I've just put those together. So if you want to know page numbers, it's page 159 and 177 in the 2000 edition that I own. You probably don't own it, so the page numbers don't matter. Now, I'm also going to throw you off here. I'm just obviously very chatty right now. Listen. The first part of the quote comes from page 177. The second part of the quote comes from page 159. Scholars don't do this, but pastors can. I took it out of order. I made the quote what I wanted. But here is what I think is happening in the early church. I love it. One of my favorite created quotes from C.S. Lewis. Here it is. If we let God have his way, come to, share, uh, come to share in the life of Christ. If we do, we shall then be sharing a life which was begotten, not made, which always has existed and always will exist. He came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. And that is precisely what Christianity is about. This world is a great sculptor's shop 
We are the statues. And there's a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. What an image. The whole thing about Christianity is that God came in human flesh through His Son. He died, came back to life, and now He's spreading His life to everyone that believes. You get to have His life, and He's going to turn you into a little Christ. So now you get to reign with Him. What an image. And now, there's a rumor going around in the world that if you, if you jump in on the deal, you'll go from being a lifeless sculpture to a real life person. Don't you love the image of a sculptor's shop with all these statues of marble? And there's a rumor moving through the shop that we're gonna, some of us are going to come alive one day. That's what the apostles were doing. They were going into the world spreading a rumor that just happened to be true. That if you come into this life that God is offering, you will come alive. All of your deadness, all that wickedness, it'll get wiped away. That's the forgiveness of sins. And you'll come alive. Because there is one statue that came and died and he came back to life and now he's spreading that life to everyone else in the shop if you want it. What an image! I love it. There's a rumor flying around that you can come to life. Your sins, all those bad things you've done, all those things you shouldn't have thought this week, ah, they can be wiped away and you can have life. I love the image. Okay, so what in the world do we do with that on the ground today? Let's make some application real quick. Here it is. I think this is where we've got to land this. This is where the finale, this is like, it, the finale brings us right here. We need to keep the gospel in front of our minds more than any other message. Listen, there's a lot of messages in our world. There's a lot of other things being told that they, uh, being uh, uh, declared as ultimate. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I put a list up. Like, I just took a short list of things that we hear are ultimate. Other things that are ultimate. I just want to bring that slide back. Here it is. Karl Marx would tell us that economics is ultimate. The fact that you're a wage earner is what defines you. Or take, for example, Michel Foucault. He said that power is ultimate. It all has to do with your access to power. Or Sigmund Freud said that sex is ultimate. It all has to do with those desires deep inside you. Or consumerism says stuff is ultimate. Racial theories say that race is ultimate. Gender theories say that your feelings are ultimate. It's just how you feel feel, that will define you. Man, I would be hard-pressed if that's the way I actually live my life. Because let me tell you, the way I start in the morning, the way I end the day, I have taken a roller coaster through my emotions. And I live with four kids, so I'm like on four, I'm on like five roller coasters every day. I don't want my feelings defining me. That's not a good place for anybody. You see here, we are being told regularly that other things are ultimate. And so we have to be very careful to keep the gospel in front of us. I'm telling you, from Fox News to CNN, from Facebook to Instagram, you will not hear the message of the gospel as clearly if, that, if, if you only live there. Because the gospel is the only thing that's going to tell you what is ultimate. It is going to tell you, really, three big things. Here it is. I think we can, I think we can land the plane on this here. I think this, is, this gets to the point like how we talk and how we think. It's, the gospel reminds us of our problem. 
you and I both know we're trying to be God pretty regularly. And the Gospel's always putting in front of us, you are not God. Stop being God. You're not God. And the solution, it tells us the solution. It's an interactive relationship with Jesus. You see what I did there? I didn't say it's believing, trusting. I said interactive, interactive. I don't know how you do a good relationship any other way. It's interactive. We need to start thinking about Jesus as being, our relationship is interactive. It's not just a bunch of knowledge. It's interactive. So you do things that are uncomfortable believing that God will take care of you. Let's go back to Dallas Willard. One of my favorite things he ever said was, how do you you help someone follow Jesus? He said, tell them to do the next right thing and count on God to bail you out. Is God calling you to be generous? You say, I can't give away money. Ah, there you go. Give away some money and watch God bail you out. I, I can't say no to this desire. Well, you, you watch, you, you, you say no to yourself and then watch God take care of the thing you most fear. You see that? That's interactive relationship. That's the solution. The gospel tells us that's the solution. And golly, we need that. We need it regularly to be put in front of us. And then there's this destiny piece. The gospel always reminds us of our destiny that we are to reign with Jesus forever and ever and ever. It means cancer, heart attacks, car accidents. None of it will have the last word. None of it. So you have hope. I don't know where else you go for that. I haven't found a YouTuber yet that has given that kind of hope. None. None. And we watch Blippi all the time. I don't know if you know who Blippi is. You should look him up. Look him up. That's your takeaway today. You look up Blippy. And if you have a child, you thank me for what I just did for you. And when you're singing a Blippy song at work and feel very silly, thank me then too. Blippy doesn't have an answer. He doesn't give hope. He entertains my kids, but he doesn't give hope. On the more serious side, no president has ever given ultimate hope in our world. Never. Never. No dictator has ever delivered on the promises that they gave the people before they started before they started ruling with an iron fist. No one has ever delivered on the promise. Okay. So what in the world do you do with this? How do we keep the gospel in front of us? Okay, I'm gonna suggest Christian music. Literally, that's where I, I wanna like I wanna like bring the funnel down here. I think that listening to Christian music is a good way to keep the gospel in front of your mind. Now, you, you can go all kinds of Christian music. There are good, strong rappers that rap the gospel with all of the beat and bass along with it. Doesn't even sound like gospel stuff, but it is. You can listen to, you can listen to Christian rap, or you can listen to the good old hymns, the hymns that have nourished God's people for centuries. Now, I'm not saying you need to listen to The Journey all the time. Now, I'm talking about The Journey radio station. Some of you may listen to Journey. I'm talking about The Journey radio station. Although some Journey songs, they just, they, they make you feel good. Don't always trust your feelings. All right. All right. But you get where I'm going here. I just, what I'm suggesting is put Christian music in your brain this week. Like, that's what I want you to do. Like, because you, you and I need to be reminded of the gospel. And I am regularly telling you to write things on sticky notes or to look at different things. Last week I told you to look at power lines. This week what I'm saying is listen to Christian music. I'm not saying all the time, but allow it to help remind you of the gospel. 
Now I'm going to tell you about one Christian song that is one of my favorites. And one day if I die and you're still living and you have to be at my funeral, I want this song played. I don't care what else you play. You can play Journey. But you make sure. You, I don't know what you do with that. But you make, I told you I feel chatty. I don't know why. Now I'm telling you to play Journey. The secular music at my funeral. Do I need to put in my resignation? I mean, is that, did I just step the line? Did I, is that okay? Is it Journey okay? Okay. All right. I mean, I got an all-out 80s playlist on Spotify. I mean, I'm hitting it. All right. Here we go. I'm getting red in the face. Here it is. One of my favorites is Victory in Jesus. Because that song, unlike some of the other hymns, it literally starts with the old, old story. And I really think you need to hear the story pretty regularly. Take a look at the first verse. Here it is. I heard an old, old story, how my Savior came from glory. And He gave His life on Calvary to save who? A wretch like me. It's not a bad thing for me to remember that I'm a wretch. You know where I get in most pro- where I get in most trouble? When I start thinking I got the answers and I'm always right. You want to know where I get in trouble the most for that kind of attitude? I'm not telling you. Here it is. I heard about his groaning, and it was his his precious blood's atoning. And you see what you got to do with that is then I repented of my, my sins and I won the victory. Whose victory? It was his victory. I get it now. There's a rumor going around that some of us are going to be made alive one day. We'll be made, go from statues to live people. Because there's an old, old story that tells about a Savior who came from glory, saved wretches like me and you. So what do I want to do with all that? Here it is. Let's go for our next step. Next step is this. Listen to the hymn, Victory in Jesus, each day and remember the gospel. I'm assuming most of us can access Spotify or YouTube Music or one of the other streaming platforms or just get on YouTube and look up Victory in Jesus. Some of you may even have a CD with that song on it. Pop it in, click, whatever you need to do, and every day listen to Victory in Jesus. This morning I was working out and I searched Spotify for Victory in Jesus and there are a lot of different versions, and I just kept going. I just went down the list and kept listening. By the way, my favorite is by Stephen Curtis Chapman. He does a bluegrass version. It's really good. I need that story because I'm not going to hear it from the world. The first sermons told that story every time they were preached. And it never gets old. And we need it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for... Thank you for these sermons. Thank you for inspiring them. And now we remember, we remember that even wretches like us need you. We need you in our living rooms, at work, when we're driving. We need you in real life. Would you wipe away our sins, all of it because of Jesus? There is no other name under heaven to be saved except through Jesus, your son. Not only is the smartest person in the world, he's the statue that came back to life. And now we want to get in on the rumor. All of it through Jesus. Together we say, Amen.